what is church? If you asked 100 different people, you might get 100 different answers about what church is. Um, I heard a, a story of a father who was showing his son through a church building. And uh, they came to a plaque on the wall, and the little boy asked, Daddy, what, what's that plaque for? And his father said, oh, that's a memorial uh, to those who died in the service, son. And the little boy responded, which service, Daddy, the morning or the evening service? Um, if you grew <laughs> I grew up in, ki- I, well, my church background is complicated, uh, a little convoluted. So I grew up in a small West Texas town. Uh, we went to Catholic, a Catholic church growing up. Uh, we were raised Catholic, and we didn't go every Sunday. Uh, there were seasons where we would go more often than we wouldn't. And uh, sometimes my mom would just drop my sister and I off at church. Like, she would take us, and then she'd go home, and then she'd come pick us back up. And I didn't quite understand everything going on during those times. Yes, children, I totally forgot that. Now I can't, I can't give Pastor John a hard time anymore because uh, I understand a lot of what went on in church as a kid. Um, it was fun sometimes like we would go to uh, CCD class that's what I went to as uh, as a young boy and then we'd go to church after that and we had these hard wooden pews that creaked you know when you sat in them and there's no cushion it was just wood like flat wood hard couldn't really sleep in them very well couldn't lay down in them very well and uh, I remember spending the night at a friend's house one night in middle school and it was a Saturday night. I spent the night at his house. And the next morning, he went to a Baptist church. That, that's where his family goes. So then whenever I spent the night, and we, uh, we Sunday morning, it was like, oh, we're going to church. And I went to church with him. I didn't know I was going. Uh, but they went, so I went. And it was the first time I had ever been in a different church uh, than my own kind of growing up in, in this Catholic church. And we go to Sunday school, and the first thing I notice when we get into Sunday school is there's the, the glorious donut and juice table in the, in the middle school Sunday school room. And I was like, oh my, what have I been missing? There's donuts and juice at church? This is amazing. And I go and I remember, uh, you know, kind of not sure, am I supposed to eat? I don't know, is this for me? Like, am I supposed to eat this or not? And I saw my friend go, so I went and I picked up a, a donut and I poured a little glass of juice. And they had, it was this big room and they had like these bleachers, I remember. And I remember going... Uh, to sit in the bleachers, and I, I, I couldn't tell you what was taught that day. I don't, I don't remember. But that was my first instance in a different kind of church. And uh, I, I didn't think much about church back then. As a kid, it just it wasn't something we did. Uh, I learned the Apostles' Creed. I had that memorized. I think I still have it memorized. I learned the Our Father. That's what we called it. We didn't call it the Lord's Prayer. We called it the Our Father. Uh, and the Hail Mary, um, not the throw, but like the prayer, right? And uh, I, knew, I knew when to sit, I knew when to stand, in my church at least, I knew when to kneel, um, and that did have padding, those little things that came down, you know, to kneel, those did have padding, thankfully. Um, I did my first communion there at that church, at that Catholic church, and fr- from then on, after we did the first communion, I avoided the wine part, because act- we used real wine, and I remember drinking it, and I was like, this is... This is gross. I remember thinking, that's, a, that's what I thought as like a maybe fifth grader. And um, so I'd go up and take the wafer, but then I'd just kind of walk past the juice or the, uh, the wine section. And, you know, everybody look at me. That's fine. But when we moved to Houston, my mom got remarried and we moved to Houston. And our family started going to a small Baptist church on the west side of town. Uh, and that's when I started to learn the ins and outs of what I think of now as church. Um, 
how to act, what to say, what not to say, how to dress, how to get away with a lot without getting caught at church. I learned what the pastor's office looked like um, a lot because I was in there a lot, uh, called into the pastor's office a lot after church. Uh, sometimes from the stage, um, there was one time from the stage that I got called out right in the middle of church, in the middle of a sermon. Uh, the pastor said, Angelo, and I was, I don't know what I was, cutting up or talking or laughing, giggling. Church giggles, you ever have, I think we talked about the church giggles before. You've gotten the church giggles before. That's what was happening. And Angelo, you need to come to my office after the service today. And okay, and keep going. And so I know what the inside of a church office, pastor's office looks like. I learned what a potluck was. I learned who's you're supposed to eat and who's you're not supposed to eat, right? Who's you're supposed to just take a little, you know, to be kind, right? To be nice, you take a little bit and put it on your plate, but it just kind of stays there. You mix it up with some other stuff and eventually it gets in the way. I knew, I knew, I learned a bunch of hymns and I love those hymns still to this day. I learned a bunch of hymns, but I never learned why we skipped the third verses. That was always strange to me. Did anybody else skip like the third verse singing? I, I was, I don't know why we did that. I learned what a church business meeting was, speaking of today. And um, how boring they could actually be when they go on for hours and hours and hours and hours, going into 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock on a Sunday night, sitting there just, can we, are we still talking about the budget? Like, uh, seriously, like, we, you know, we're, we're a small church. I learned that on Sunday nights, during the hymn request night, you do not request the Star Spangled Banner, which was in our hymnal. Uh, you do not request number 336 or whatever, which is the hallelujah chorus. You don't do that uh, because you will get called into the pastor's office uh, for, for doing those things. Many of you may have similar experiences with church, growing up in church. You, you, you had this culture, it was this church culture, especially the church I grew up in was this little Southern Baptist church. Um, I went to camp, we did Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night discipleship, like the whole deal, right? We did uh, RAs and GAs and youth camp and youth retreat and youth mission trip and all those things that were involved with church. I don't really have any bad memories of church. Even those times getting called into uh, pastor's office, um, that pastor's a good friend of mine now still. So uh, I don't really have any bad experiences um, about church. I made a lot of good friends at church. I made a, had like, especially in high school and going into college, made a lot of good friends. Uh, I eventually learned about Christ in church uh, in the Sunday morning service, who he was. I surrendered to him at that church. I uh, gave my life to Christ at that very church when I was a teenager. But my experience is not universal by any means. <laughs> some people, maybe even some of you, have had really bad experiences in church, in churches. Maybe you grew up in a church and you were, or maybe you've attended one recently and you were put off by religious people to, for lack of a better term, for having a holier-than-thou attitude. Or maybe you've heard too many sermons about what the church is against and not what the church is for. Maybe someone offended you, whether it was right or wrong, right? Sometimes uh, an offense is meant to be something good in our life. It can turn us to something. But right or wrong, you got offended and maybe you left. And you're just starting to plug back in maybe here at this church. Good or bad, we have some kind of experience with church. I think most people do. I mean, you're here today, so you have experience at least with this church. And you have some experience here. But what is it? What is the church? We all have these different experiences, these different ideas, these different notions. What makes a church what it is? 
And do we even, like, need to be a part of something like this? Is, do, do I need to be a part of this when I can just go watch a sermon on TV or on the Internet or listen to a podcast? Is there any benefit to even, like, what we do on Sunday mornings here? In the 1970s, a Gallup poll found that 68% of Americans had strong or high confidence in the institutional church. 68%. That's very high. Today, it's down to 44%. Probably lower since even those, those uh, I think probably since those numbers came out. And it's lower than 44% on, uh, among younger Americans, younger people, the younger generation. Commitment to an institution, and when I say institution, I mean like this, like we are, we are an organization, we are an organized group of people who gather together on Sunday morning. That's what I mean when I say institution, okay? Commitment to that isn't important or as important to Americans anymore, but that doesn't mean people aren't committed to learning, even to some kind of Christian community. Maybe it doesn't look like what is happening on Sunday morning typically, but People are kind of torn between these two things. And it's not just the institutional church that Americans have lost confidence in. Younger Americans haven't just rejected that. They reject institutions of all kind, by the way. Maybe you're among this, you know, this this idea. Things have changed. We live in a post-Enron, Lehman Brothers, whatever you want to call it, Watergate for for some people, right? All these things where an institution has failed the people has failed their employees, has, fa- has failed their, you know, uh, America has failed their constituents, whatever that may be. For younger people, big does not mean legit, right? Like, just because you're big does not, in fact, big means corrupt for, for a lot of people. Like, if you're too big, we start asking questions, right? We start saying, why, why is that? What's going on over there that so many people are involved? Like, there's got to be something fishy happening here. That, that organization's too big. It's too, there's too much going on. There's got to be some kind of corruption. In 2012, this was nine years ago, The Atlantic had an article called How Americans Lost Trust in Our Great Institutions. And it's a great article if you can go find it. But here's a quote I want to throw up. It's not just Washington. Across the country, our faith in City Hall in newspapers, media, right, and churches is fading. Our faith in these organizations and these big, or, these, these authorities in our life starting to dwindle. And that was nine years ago. Think about what that looks like today. So what about church? You talk about all these other organizations. What about church? Should I attend? Should I even be involved? Why should we bother with meeting on Sunday morning Setting up, doing music, serving kids, you know, all, uh, serving in the, uh, the welcome table, greeting, all those things. Why should we bother with this? As we continue through the Believe series, we're about halfway done with part one of the Believe series. So we're five weeks in. You look at the first five weeks of Believe, and um, then you look at the second five, and you see that they're, they're kind of differentiated a little bit, generally speaking. The first five have to do with kind of our relationship with God. Okay, so we talked about who God was. We talked about he was a personal God, salvation. We talked about identity in Christ. Now we're going to start talking more, kind of more a horizontal relationship with other people and how that affects this, how our vertical relationship affects our horizontal, how what we believe about God and about salvation and about ourselves, what we believe about those things affect what we do in life, how we act, you know, the, the organizations we belong to. One of the main things we've learned is that there is a God, 
and he has a personal plan for our lives. For my life, for your life. And he has a big plan for the world, we're learning as well. He saved, he's going to save the world. But how does he accomplish his plan? How is God going to accomplish his plan? That's the key question for chapter, chapter 6 about the church in the Believe book. If you haven't picked one up, make sure to pick one up. It's a great read. This is going to be a great chapter. God has always worked through people to accomplish his desires and his plan. He typically doesn't just, like, zap something, you know, to, turn, to, to create his plans. He uses people. That, that's what he does. He worked through uh, all the patriarchs, through Noah, through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, his sons. He worked through their descendants. He worked through the nation of Israel. He worked through kings and prophets of Israel and of Judah. Even when it seemed like things were going really bad, even when it seems like things, all was lost, that God— possibly couldn't continue to work his plans out. This nation is crumbling, it's divided, like they're exiled, right? There's this dispersion of people all over that, that known world at the time. God continues to work through people. And when Jesus comes, the culmination of his plans begin to come into focus even more. And Jesus begins his ministry again through people, 12 disciples, amongst other followers. After all, you know, three years, all seems like it's going to be lost again, right? He's arrested. He's going to be crucified. Jesus is crucified and is killed. How could God continue to work his plan out? This does, you know, it seems like it's the end of the movie. Oh my gosh, the hero didn't win. But lo and behold, miraculously, Jesus is resurrected. He appears to his disciples and he tells them these words I want to read out of Matthew 28. Many of you know, might know these words. As he gets ready to leave, earth for the final time before he comes back known to many as the great commission matthew 28 it'll be up on the screen then jesus said to them and said all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me therefore go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the father of the son and of the holy spirit teaching them to obey everything i've commanded you and surely i am i am with you always to the end of the age. And right, so this is a little before, but right before he ascends, right before Jesus is going to, he's going to take off into the air in the book of Acts, literally the final words, the last words of Jesus that he says on this earth. Think about that. Think about how important these words should, must be for him to wait. This is the last final thing I'm going to say. You better remember it. Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. God intends to continue his plan just as he always has through people. And that group of people is a family, but it's not literally a family like Abraham's family was. And they're a holy nation, but they're not literally a nation. Like, they don't exist as a nation, like Israel. God's plan to accomplish his purposes in this world are his church. God's plan to accomplish his purposes in this world is his church. Everything he wants to accomplish before Jesus comes back will be through the church. It's The church is God's plan A. There is no plan B. There's no backup. Plan A, the church, is the plan. 
I asked earlier in the sermon, what is church? What would you say? Is it, is it the building? Well, we mean the school, right? So uh, I don't know, is this a school slash church? Is it what we're doing right now? Like we're gathering, is this church? We say, you know, I told my kids this morning, hey, are you going to church with me? Right? Are, you go- are you coming this morning or are you coming with your mom? Right, later. We say that, we use that language. Hey, we're going to church. Hey, come to church. Invite people to church. But is it more than that? Is it just a gathering of people or, or is it something more? And what I want to give to you today is that I, I want to focus on a term that is not just the building, is not just the gathering, but it's a term that the Bible uses when it talks about the church. And uh, it's kind of a strange term, actually, if you think about it. It's the body of Christ. You've heard that term before, maybe. You've heard about the body. We talk about, you know, oh, we need to serve the body. We need to include the body. That's, a, that's kind of, you know, I, ha- like, I, I have a body, right? I know that. For somebody who maybe has comes into church not really growing up hearing this language, that might be kind of be a weird term, the body of Christ. We even use that term when we talk about the Lord's Supper and the communion, right? The, this is the body of Christ. So is it, is it the wafer? Is it the church? Is, it like a, is there a physical body? Like, what does that mean? Where does that come from? And, and that's what I want to focus on today uh, as we talk about the church the body of Christ, what that means, and how that relates to how we actually we live our lives. If you'll turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, that's where we're going to be. That's kind of, that's one of the main places we hear this term of us being a body, the body of Christ. It's also used in other places in the scripture. It's not just, uh, it's not just here, but this is the main place we're going to focus on today. And Paul, in this letter to the Corinthian church, there's a There's two letters to the church at Corinth. That's 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. In this letter, Paul is responding to a bunch of issues that this church is going through, okay? And if you read this letter, 1 Corinthians, you'll see that there's there's some very disturbing issues actually going on in this church. Uh, If you're interested in that, go check it out. Read through 1 Corinthians, you're going to be like, wow, this this kind of stuff was going on in this church, and it's just kind of known, and, you know, Paul's responding to it and kind of admonishing them and correcting them. And uh, one of the the issues that they were going through was divisiveness. Huh, what do you know? Group of people get together and there's divisiveness. That's, that's, uh, you know, that's that's not, it's not something we've ever heard of, right? Divisiveness in the church or in a community or in a nation. We've never heard of divisiveness before, I'm sure. They were divided. And a lot of them were divided over class issues and kind of pride issues. Some thought they were better than other people. Uh, they had different giftings, different talents, and some would say, well, my gifting is more important than yours. My talent is more important than yours. And here's what Paul has to say about the church. First Corinthians chapter 12, before we read this main section, I want to pray as we get into this. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for your church, uh, for teaching us through the scripture, Father. And I pray uh, as we read your word today, as we dive in as we learn, as we glean, as we uh, rely on the Holy Spirit to teach us, Father, that you would be with us, that you would uh, open our hearts, open our minds to what you would have for us after this sermon, Father, uh, even me, myself. Um, Lord, thank you for this church. Thank you for uh, uh, everything you do for us, God, for Jesus sending him to die on the cross for us, to be resurrected so that we may have eternal life, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 1 Corinthians 12. 
Just as one, just as a body, the one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. We were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, that would be weird, right? Number one, if the whole body were an eye. But if the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are actually indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. The parts that are unpresentable, they're treated with special modesty. While our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part's honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And God has placed the church, first of all, apostles, second, prophets, third, teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and all different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have the gift of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Now eagerly desire the greater gifts and this is great because it actually this goes into the love chapter the famous love chapter first corinthians chapter 13 where he talks about the great the greatest is love love should encompass all this stuff paul uses this metaphor a body to talk about the church he says you know how your body has a lot of parts right you got all these parts but you're still one unit even though you have all these different parts he's saying if your foot if your foot could talk it wouldn't be able to just to sit there and tell the rest of your body that it's more important. Let's say, like, I'm not part of your body. That doesn't, just because the foot says that doesn't make it not a part of the body. Like, whether he says it or not, he is. Right? The foot is a part of the body. Can't sit there and say it's more important than the hand or the eye or the ears. And it also shouldn't feel bad about just being a foot and not being an eye or not being an ear or not being a hand. It has purpose. If you didn't have your feet, your legs, your hands, you know, all these different appendages, you couldn't walk as well as you had if you had them, right? Like, the, the body's created a certain way. They might be different. We might have differences in our bodies and how they look, how they function, but they're all still important functions of our body. And he continues this metaphor. He says, the parts of the body we cover up, right? Like, if you go swimming, you wear a swimsuit, correct? You cover up parts of your body when you're in public. He says, those unpresentable parts, because you cover them up, they're actually given greater honor. The unpresentable, right? He says the fragile parts of your body, your organs, your lungs, your heart, 
right? Like your heart requires protection. It's behind this muscle, and it's, it's got, you know, it's got uh, bone, your, your, your body has bones, and then there's skin, and there's all this stuff protecting these seemingly very weak parts of our body, right? Like, if I were to poke my hand like this, maybe even pierce my hand, right? If I were to get, like, accidentally cut my hand, oh, man, that would hurt, but it would probably be okay. What would happen if I did that to my heart? You know, right? You can't, th- th- that would be much more detrimental, the heart's much weaker, right? It, t- it can't take a beating like my, like my arms can or like my legs can or the rest of my body, but it's, it's so important to the function of the body. That's what he's talking, he's saying, you know, they, they may be weaker parts, but they're actually so vital to the body. It's a great metaphor. The body is such a great metaphor for the diversity and the unity of the church. The different parts, the different gifts, But the one goal, right, all the parts of my body have one goal. If if like my leg's trying to do something different than the rest of my body, we've got issues with my body, right? Uh, My body has one goal. The unity of purpose, the church has one goal as well, has unity of purpose. Years ago in this, uh, an issue of this, um, it's called the Proceedings of the National Academy of Science, probably riveting reading. Uh, reported this in, in, in their, in their uh, journal. There was a super colony of ants that were discovered, okay, stretching thousands of miles from the Italian Riviera to the coastline to northwest Spain. Okay, giants. This was the largest cooperative unit ever found, ever recorded, and according to s- the Swiss, Swiss, French, and Danish scientists, who studied this, who kind of were like, this is, this is bizarre. This colony consisted of billions of Argentinian ants, right? How did, how did they get there, number one? But billions of Argentinian ants living in millions of nests, but cooperating with each other, okay? Typically, ants from different nests are going to fight. Like, they're not going to, like, they're going to, one's going to try and overtake the other. But they're con- the, these researchers found that the ants in this particular colony, the super colony, were close enough, uh, summed it up this way. This is what she said. Laurent Keller. Cooperation allowed the colonies to develop at a much higher densities than would normally occur. This led to the greatest cooperative unit ever discovered. And I, you know, I read that and I was like, you know what I say to that? I was like, that's nothing compared to the church. Nothing compared to the church and what the church actually could has, has the, has the, the uh, potential to accomplish. Wait till you see the church. Can you imagine the church cooperating to fulfill Jesus' command, to be his witnesses to the ends of the earth, to make disciples of all nations? And it's been happening for over 2,000 years. I say, take that, Argentinian ants, right? Our key idea for this week if you read in the the Believe book, is this. I believe the church is God's primary way to accomplish his purposes on earth. That's what Christians believe. The church is God's primary way. It's not secondary. It's not like, oh, you know, we're just going to use this group of people. No, this is the primary way. No plan B, no backup plan. We are it. You and I are it. This church, the thousands and thousands, the tens of thousands, probably even the millions of churches that exist or have existed or will exist. That's the plan. 
God is going to use that, his church, to accomplish his purposes on this earth. We, this group of imperfect people who are one body, who rely on each other, who are responsible to each other, have changed the world. And we'll continue to do so until Jesus returns. And it's not done alone. It's not done by our strength. It's done, it's not done individually, but it's done together through the power of the Holy Spirit. As Jesus said in Acts 1-8, the Spirit will come upon you. That's whenever you're going to be sent out. There's this trend among people today, not just young people, people of all ages, to just kind of forget church. Um, I'm a Christian, but I, I would call myself a Christian, but I don't go to church. Um, you know, those guys are a bunch of hypocrites anyway. I couldn't really deal with them. Uh, they judge me there. They judge other people. You know, they uh, say things I don't like. They believe some weird, wacky things. Um, you know, I, I can't. I I, they may say things like this. I practice my faith privately. Um, private, private faith. I, I get the sentiment. I understand. You don't want to push your, your beliefs and push things on people. But a private faith, especially Christianity, it, it's like impossible to live Christianity in private. It's so, so impossible. It doesn't, it doesn't, I, don't, I feel like it's kind of like an oxymoron. Our main goal is to share the good news. Our main goal is to make disciples, is to be witnesses. That's not private. If we're really living out the Ten Commandments, right, you could just call it that. Let's call it the Ten Commandments, if we want to say that. The tenets of Christianity. Uh, half of them are about relating to other people. Like, you can't live those privately. Uh, half of them have to do with, with interacting with other people. Can you live, let me ask you this, can you live fully in God's purpose if you aren't a part of a church? What do you think? Fully. I'm not talking about, you know, oh, I can't pray to him. I can't experience worship. I can't even share my faith. I can't read the Bible. I can't learn. I can't grow in spiritual disciplines. You can do those things outside of the church. That, that's possible. But can you fully live in God's purposes outside of being a part of the body of Christ? I would say no. That would be, that's, uh, I, that's what I believe. That's what we, I believe we, we read about in Scripture. There's so much talk of being together and staying together and, and, and worshiping together and serving one another. When we become Christians, we're baptized. We're baptized into a faith community. When you read through the, through the Bible about being baptized, we're baptized into a faith community. God has always worked through people. Remember, not a person— Outside of Jesus, right? We, we're taking that out. The, like, we're not talking about him. But God has always worked through people, groups of people, working together, living together. First a family, then it was a nation, and now it's the church. So there are three things I want to end with as we wrap up here. I'd really encourage you, go read the chapter. The chapter is really, really good uh, in Believe This Week. It kind of gives you a history of the, the way God has worked through groups of people, starting with the family of Abraham, then the nation of Israel, and finally how that has transitioned to the church. And it, so it's really, really good. I really encourage you to read that. Uh, and join us for book club on Thursday night, 8 o'clock. We'll be on there. But uh, there, there are three things I, I want to do. And the first thing is that if you're a Christian, if you consider yourself a Christian, if you say, I've d you know, I follow Jesus, I've done that, 
you are a member of the body of Christ and you belong to the body of Christ. The foot just can't say, oh, I don't belong. And just because it says it doesn't belong doesn't make it not a part, right? That's what Paul said. He's like, just because the foot says I'm not a part of the body, that doesn't make it not a part of the body. It is. If you are a Christian, if you follow Christ, you belong to the body of, to the body of Christ. And there are two, um, there's a double meaning here that I kind of want to get with, with this phrase. First, you literally belong, meaning you, you have a responsibility to the body. Like your eye isn't out there floating off by itself, right? It has a responsibility to your head and to your face and to see and make sure you're walking, not walking into like trees or, you know, not, not uh, stepping on things and not hurting the rest of your body. Your big toe isn't out there by itself, right? I always use that term because that's kind of a funny one, the big toe. Imagine a big toe being all by itself. It has a responsibility to the rest of the body. You are a member. If you are a Christian, you are a member of the body of Christ. You belong here. That means you're needed. That means you're valued. And you're part of a bigger purpose than just yourself. Than just your own life. Yes, God has a personal plan for you. But he'll, part of that personal plan is for you to be involved in the big plan that God has. To save the world. You're part of this grand plan that God has put forth to change the world. This, through this group, right? This group of imperfect, hypocritical crazy, lovely, beautiful people called the church. All those things are true about us. You're part of it. But it also means that you belong here. Because then you, you have belonging. I don't know about you, there are some places where I feel like I, I kind of feel out of place. Uh, I'm pretty good at like, if I get in a group of people, I'm pretty good at fe- like working my way in and feeling comfortable. But there are some places where I just kind of feel out of place. I, don't, I feel like I don't belong. Some groups of people, you know, uh, organizations, whatever. You ever feel that way? You ever feel out of place amongst a group of people? Maybe you've always felt that way. Maybe you've always felt like an outsider. Maybe you've always you felt like you haven't fit in or maybe you don't really belong. And I'm here to tell you, you belong in the body of Christ. You have belonging here. You're a part of us can't find belong you can find belonging here you can't find it other places at least lasting belonging you will find it here you have a seat at the table here maybe some places you're like man I i don't have any influence i don't have any impact i'm not a part of something greater here you are here you are a part of something greater the body of christ you know you're you're part you're a part at you have a seat at the most incredible table ever here in the body of christ Second, God will use the church to accomplish his purposes in your life. Talked about purpose. God has a plan for you. That plan will be accomplished inside of the church, not outside of the church. It will be accomplished inside of a group of people living together, working together, serving together, encouraging one another, admonishing one another. That's where God's purpose is going to be fulfilled in your life, not outside of it. You don't want to be alone. You don't want to be detached. You don't want to be a floating appendage out there by itself whenever you get in trouble and you come back to the church. We're here, but you don't want to wait for that. You don't want to just come back when you're in crisis, when there's a need. You 
want to stay connected to this community and get the help and support you need when you need it to get to the place God wants you to be. You know what happens when you stub your toe? Oh, my gosh. Stubbing your toe. One of the worst, worst pain. I mean, I, I remember as a kid, I, I ran through a screen door as a kid once, okay? <laughs> I was running to the house. I didn't realize the screen, the, the glass door was open. Thank goodness the glass door was open. But the screen door was still there, and I ran through the screen door, and I stubbed my toe on that metal part on the bottom, right, that's holding the screen. And, I mean, there was... It was it was disgusting, and it hurt. I was I was on the floor, right, yelling things, yelling at whoever left the screen door closed because that was their fault. I, you know, obviously it was their fault. If they would have just opened it, I could have ran through normally. I'm a baby when it comes to pain. Uh, you can ask my kids, you can ask my wife. They all know I'm a baby when it comes to pain. If I hurt something, it's like, oh, help me, please, you know, and. The rest of the body responds, at least my body, that's how it works with me. The rest of the body responds whenever there's like a, like, and it's cool how it works, right? Like I've read that your body will send like signals and send pain-killing type chemicals to that part of your body so that it makes up for it, right? It's trying to like, okay, we're trying to, we're trying to fix that part, trying to make that feel better, so we're going to send a bunch of stuff there. That's how the body of Christ works. It's the same. There's a part of, of the body of Christ that's suffering. God has designed the body to come around it and say, hey, we want to help you. We need to help you. Now, that doesn't always happen perfectly, to be honest. But that's how it's designed. That's how we should be, resp- that's how we should be working. Don't get disconnected. God will accomplish his good purposes for you through the church, not outside of it. You will not be able to live fully in God's purposes if you're not a part of the body of Christ. And finally, God is going to use the church to accomplish his purposes in the world. Not just in your life, but in the world. You want to live with purpose? So many people are, I want to be a part of something bigger than myself. Be a part of the church. You want to live for something outside of yourself? Be a part of something greater? Be a vibrant part of your church. God wants you to be fully vested in his church to accomplish his great and wonderful works in this world. Those, those words that Jesus spoke, making disciples of all nations, they're lived out and they're obeyed through the church. Friends, you are the body of Christ. Each person is, is important here. Every one of you, even the children, even the teenagers, they're all part of the body. They're important. They matter. Our church would be incomplete without everyone. It would be like the puzzle. My wife does puzzles all the time. And uh, one time I took one piece while she was doing it, and I hid it, like in the middle of her doing it. And then when she got, like weeks later, got to the end, there was one piece missing. Oh, my gosh, there's a piece missing. And I laughed, and I gave it to her, right? And, you know, it was, it was a joke. It wasn't. It was funny to me. Um, you know, it wasn't funny to everyone involved in the situation. But... Uh, it was incomplete, right? Like the puzzle, the nine, it was 999 pieces. That last piece, man, this is incomplete. Would, it would be perfect if that puzzle piece was there. There's a place and a purpose and a duty for all of us in the church. Some people leave churches because they don't get anything out of it. 
I've heard that. Well, I'm not getting anything out of this church. They need something deeper. They think they can worship God and be a follower of Jesus alone without engaging others. You know, and, and if that's, you know, maybe that's where you came from, or maybe you're kind of thinking that. You're like, man, I don't, I don't really get anything. Have you ever thought that maybe you, you, were, you were needed to bring someone along, right? Maybe you're not having your needs met, but somebody else, you're, you're meant to meet somebody else's needs. What about that? Have you, have you considered that? The church is just slowing me down. Well, maybe you are the person that God wants to use to help speed others up, if that's the case. It's true, you can believe the gospel, you can be saved, you can be a Christian and not be a part of a church. I, I, I don't think, I think that's technically true, but you would miss out. Oh my gosh, you would miss out on so much. And you'll probably not grow very much. You wouldn't, you wouldn't even be able to live out a lot of, a lot of the commands. There's a lot, so many one another commands in the Bible. You wouldn't be able to live those out. Uh, you definitely won't find out God's purpose, good purpose in your life if you're disconnected. Because God is going to use the church to fulfill His purpose in your life. Martin Lloyd Jones was a Welsh theologian and pastor. He said this when talking about the passage we read in the Book of Acts today. He said. What an utter denial it is of the whole New Testament, this foolish suggestion that one service a Sunday is enough. One that takes place at 9 o'clock or 10.30, right, in the morning, to get rid of it, as it were, in order that you can really go and enjoy yourselves and have real happiness in looking at the television or in rushing to the seaside or in playing golf. You could insert going to, see, going to the park, going out to eat, going to the football, watching the game, whatever that may be. What happens when people are baptized with the Holy Spirit, as we see in, throughout Acts, is that they begin to want to be together and get together as often as they can. The believers in Acts steadfastly continued talking about these things, singing together, praising God together every day. This was first above everything else. Everything came second. Everything else came second. Even their work was just something they had to do. It was right that they should do their work, of course. But this community of praise was the thing that meant life to them. It meant joy and salvation. Church, I, know, I, get, I understand, it can become just kind of this rote thing. I, I get it. Sunday morning, it can. I, I've been there. I've been there in my life growing up as, an, as, a, as a teen, as a young adult, as an adult. It, we get that way. I think it's because sin, we have sin in our life and, you know, just sin in general. We get fatigued and all these things. I understand. But I pray for you that you get to the point to where you can see through some of that and say, you know what, God, maybe we just need to pray that. God, bring joy and salvation to me. Bring the joy of my salvation to me in the church. Maybe we just need to pray that. Maybe if you're not, you're not feeling it, you're like, ah, it's just I don't want to come on Sunday morning, I'm going to go to church, I don't want to do this, I just want to get it over with and get back home so I can, you know, have the rest of my day. God doesn't want that for the body. So that's my prayer for you. Are you a part? Do you feel like you're a part? Come talk to me, Pastor John. If you're, if you're feeling, man, I'm feeling disconnected, I feel like I want to get involved more, I want to plug in more, I want to be more vibrant part of this so I can see God's purposes in my life, come talk to one of us. We would love to talk with you about that and pray with you about that. And my prayer for us today is that 
church would be vibrant, that we would see the church as God sees it. As a people, he's redeemed, that he loves. And as we continue to explore what a church is and what a church believes in this belief series, know that common ground here, just like every church, it's unique. It's got its pros, it's got its cons, it's got its positives, it's got its negatives, like every single other church in the world that has ever existed. Because you know what? We're full of imperfect people. But it's a unique, irreplaceable, God-given gift to us. And to withdraw from church, to, to get away from the body, it's to deny others our love. And it robs our joy, frankly. So I want to encourage you to, to engage, to pray about that. Read the chapter this week, and we're going to pray that uh, our view of that, of, of church, begins to look more like Jesus, God's view, that he would send his son so that we could be with him. Let's pray. God, I, uh, I confess.